so let's have this morning's main Bible reading. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. We're going to spe- pay special attention to verse 25 to the end, but let's read the whole of Matthew 6 just to give us a bit of context. Of course we are in um, the Sermon on the Mount, and so the full context would to be to take us all the way back to Matthew 5, but for today we'll just read Matthew 6. Which says this. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. In the synagogues and in the streets, then they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be giving in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you, Father, forgive your trespasses. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right then, having just had our Bible reading, um, there's just a couple of things to mention before we have a look at today's topic. First is question time. After this service, after the sermon rather, we're going to have the opportunity to ask questions, make comments in light of what we have been thinking about. This all takes place in the live chat. Now last week I mentioned that if you're a bit nervous about asking anything, then feel free to email me. And this week I received uh, one question related to what we've been talking about. I haven't yet answered it, I will get back to um, that question, respond to the email. But all of these, all questions are good because it gets us all thinking together. It can broaden the depth and scope of what we're um, thinking about, reflecting upon. So do feel free to include your questions. And it might be, you know, once we're in the second and third of this um, course, it might feel like the questions come a bit easier um, once we've obviously explored more of it. So that's question times. I'll explain how we do it when we get to it. We have a order of service that is in the description box. So if you want to use that, you can uh, download that and use that if it's helpful. But finally, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon these things this morning, would we remember the things that we thought about last week of how we live in a fallen world and therefore there is anxiety and worry does have its place because all is not well with this world. Yet at the same time we're looking forward to and anticipating a day when we will be part of your kingdom where there will be no anxiety. And so as we reflect on these things now, we pray, Lord, that our biggest concern would be that we would be part of that kingdom. Amen. We live in a part of the world and a phase of history when our concerns have changed. On the whole... We don't tend to be anxious about having food to eat. With the advancement in technology and research into medicine and diseases that once were killers have been eradicated. 
or they can be successfully treated or with the correct repeat prescription the illness can be suppressed. Even in the midst of today's pandemic we have an expectation that technology will get the better and this will come to an end. We live in an affluent society in going hungry, low mortality and having nowhere to live are not things we tend to worry about. Now this frees us up to worry about other things and an affluent society like ours has no difficulty in filling the gap. So social media can cause us great anxiety when we post a message we're worried about how long it will take to get a reply will we get a reply at all and if we do get a reply will it be nasty should we wear fake tan or not and if we do just how much is too much or is there even such a thing as too much how much investment should I make in anti-wrinkle and anti-aging cream? And if it's true that any reduction to wrinkles isn't actually noticeable to the human eye, then when is it time to move on to Botox? Now, whether these are quite the specific problems we have, they do provide us with the general sentiment of what concerns us. We're in that realm of popularity and appearance. And the two can be related. Do I need to be pretty, the right shape, the right weight to be popular? And although I'm brought up to believe it's what's on the inside that counts, at the same time I'm also being bombarded with a lesson that really how we look is far more important. You see, when we're not worrying about where the next meal will come from, we find something else to worry about. Well, this morning we're asking the question, what should we be anxious about? You may remember that last week we said, worry can be legitimate. We also said anxiety can be irrational. And then we made a fleeting comment that what we worry about can betray what we prioritise. And it's that third option where we're going to focus in on today. What we worry about reveals what we think is of most importance. And we're doing all this in order to improve how we handle our own anxiety. So today's angle is moving away from those things we don't need to worry about and concentrating on what we should be concerned with. In order to help us consider this we're going to do a brief survey of potential anxiety found in the Bible. The aim is to think what are people anxious about? How do they handle their anxiety and what can we learn from it? 
Last week we considered Adam and Eve. So next stop is Cain and Abel. If you remember the story, Abel has been killed by his brother Cain. And God punishes Cain. He says, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And it's in Cain's response that we see his anxiety. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is anxious because he's going to be exiled from God's presence and he fears he will be killed. Now in response to Cain's concern, God protects him so that anyone who found him would not kill him. As we continue through Genesis, we arrive at Abraham. God has promised Abraham that he will be a father of many nations and promised Sarah, his wife, she'll be the mother of nations. But Abraham laughs. His concern is his body is aging. He's 100 years old. His wife's body is aging. She's 90 years old. Shall Sarah, who's 19 year, 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham and Sarah are aware of how the fall is affecting them. They are aging. Their bodies are decaying. The signs of death are visible and Sarah has been barren all her life. And now she's not only barren, but she's long since past childbearing age. These are the things that trouble Abraham and Sarah, yet God has made a promise and God responds. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, of course, Sarah does have a child. As we move forward, we come to the wilderness. The nation of Israel have been redeemed from slavery in Egypt. And they find themselves in the wilderness. And in the desert, the people say this. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you brought us out of into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. What troubles the people? They are worried about food. Their memory of Egypt is completely flawed, suggesting they had meat to spare, when in reality they were oppressed, treated ruthlessly, and all their male children were thrown into the Nile. Their memory of what God had done was entirely flawed 
2. God is the creator of the entire world. And everything the Egyptians had, God gave them. He made Egypt into the great nation. It was through Joseph he enabled them to survive the seven-year famine. He controls his creation any way he wishes, bringing great plagues upon Egypt and causing bread to drop down from heaven. He can cause stones to produce water. In their worry, they wish to put their trust in Egypt and they fail to trust God. Now if we jump forward to the book of Daniel, we find he and his friends are in exile. You would think he was in an extremely precarious situation. He's been taken away from his people and now enjoys the company of the most unhinged superpowers of the time. And yet kingdoms come and kingdoms go and Daniel remains at the right hand side of each king. This in and of itself hints at the meaning of the book. The book of Daniel brings together everything else that has been said in the Old Testament so far. And the message is, kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. And within this great chaos, there will be distress as kingdom tramples down other kingdoms. But eventually one kingdom not made with human hands will come and it will be a kingdom set up by the god of heaven it will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it will itself endure forever in two events where Daniel and his friends are in their most precarious situations, we can observe a couple of things. Nebuchadnezzar sets up a large gold statue that everyone must worship every time the alarm sounds. This is a passage we read earlier. Remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they refuse to bow down. And the consequence is they're to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But their reply is this. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The important thing here is to note that they do not state that God will save them, only that he's able to. They recognise he may not. But that doesn't trouble them. 
Their concern is that the king is clear on one thing. They will not, under any circumstances, serve his gods or worship the image of gold. They only serve the God of heaven and they will not compromise on that. If they are anxious about anything, it is that there is no confusion on this one point. They will not turn away from God. The next precarious situation, Daniel continues to pray despite being told not to. As a result, he's thrown to the lions. This time we see that a distinction is made by the lions. They do not harm Daniel on account of God's angel shutting the mouth of the lions. But when those that falsely accused Daniel were thrown into the lions, they were devoured before they reached the floor. Daniel is unharmed because of his allegiance to God. Those who oppose God don't even reach the ground. Now what we've seen in this brief survey can be understood from what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Last week we considered how living in the fallen world there's plenty to be anxious about. Creation itself has been undermined when God's word was brought into question. The land has been cursed and as a result, crops have to compete with weeds. And only through hard work can food be grown, and even then there's no guarantee. There are droughts and famines. We can find ourselves anxious about what we will eat or drink. The world is fallen and people are sinful. Given the opportunity, others will steal our possessions. And so we worry about our security. The conditions of the world are extreme and we need to shelter. Shelter to keep the sun off. And on other occasions, shelter to keep us warm. And we worry about losing our home. As we grow older, our bodies remind us that we are fallen and death will catch up with us. It begins with aches and pains. Our bodies take longer to repair themselves. Eventually, we need medication to maintain a regular heartbeat or to keep our blood pressure where it needs to be. And so we worry about our lives. These are all things to be anxious about. And they're all things people who live in this fallen world worry about. And yet Jesus tells us not to be worried about these things. He gives us two reasons why we should not worry about them. First, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
As part of God's people, in his providence, he will look after us. He looks after the birds and the lilies. How much more will he look after us who bear his image and are his children? The second thing is related to this. What we should worry about is being part of the kingdom. You see, the reason we do not have to worry about life, what we eat or drink or what we wear, is exactly because we're part of the kingdom. And being part of the kingdom means our Father has them in hand. But more than this, all these other things are of no significance compared with being part of the kingdom. What use is life, food and drink and warm clothes if you're not part of the kingdom? What use is there of worrying about these things when you're not part of the kingdom? Worry shortens life, it never prolongs it. Let's consider today's examples in turn. Cain recognised he would no longer be in God's presence. Yet his concern was someone would take his life. Cain falls foul of his predicament. Having killed Abel, he ceases to be in the presence of God. What does it matter then if he lives or dies? Abraham and Sarah were aware of the decay of their respective bodies. At their age, they couldn't possibly have children. But they believed God, they trusted him, and they had Isaac at the age of a hundred. Abraham and Sarah are part of God's plan, and God's plan will happen. The fact that the barren elderly cannot have children isn't a problem for the creator if we're part of god's kingdom we have nothing to worry about because one way or another we will be swept up with his plan which is why the account of the people in the wilderness is so striking never identify with the people in the wilderness as so many Christians think it's appropriate to do. Their concern for what they will eat and drink is a direct challenge to God's providence. Did God really do all the mighty acts of Egypt so that he could bring his people into the desert in order to starve them? Who do they think that they're talking about? They're too busy worrying about what they will eat. They fail to realise what they're doing. They compromise their place in the kingdom of God in order to return to the oppressors in Egypt. Their anxiety over what they eat mean they forfeit their place in the kingdom. We're beginning to see why it's important that we know what it is we need to be anxious about, or at least what our priority needs to be. 
and we see why it's important in Daniel. The book of Daniel describes the destruction of every other kingdom by one kingdom that will endure forever. And it's written for those who are in allegiance to the kingdom of God. It assures us, among other things, of this. That God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whoever he wishes. And that all of these kingdoms will come and go. But this must happen and it will come with great distress. But eventually God will set up his kingdom and it will never be destroyed. Daniel and his friends demonstrate that the only thing they worry about is that they're part of God's kingdom. Their only concern is that they remain in it and they do, don't compromise that. So when other kingdoms that God has set up anyway oppose God, they don't worry about life. They don't worry about what they will eat or drink. But instead they enter the fiery furnace and are led to the lion's den. And while they know God is able to save them, their only anxiety is that on one thing there's no confusion. They will not serve other gods or worship an image of gold. Jesus never talks about anxiety over your popularity on Facebook. He never talks about how many times your post has been retweeted. He doesn't comment on fake tan, anti-aging cream, Botox, plastic surgery, or whether your bum looks big in this. What he does comment on is of greater significance. Food and drink to sustain life. Clothes to keep the body warm. And on each of these he says, do not worry about them. Your heavenly father knows what you need. He said our priority is whether we're in the kingdom or not. And this should put all our anxieties in context. What we worry about betrays what we prioritise. And Jesus says our priority, our first concern, should be that we're part of the kingdom of God. There really is nothing to worry about. This in and of itself, is nothing to worry about. But it should be our priority. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we know that you are our Heavenly Father. And we are now in that phase of redemptive history where the kingdom has been set up and your king has been installed. And as we wait for its full consummation and continue living in this fallen world, 
we pray, Lord, we would not be anxious. We pray, Lord, that we'd have the mindset of Daniel and his friends. That we know you can deliver us. But even if you do not deliver us, we will not compromise on serving you. And we pray, Lord, as well, that we'd realise that if we're not delivered, then our worst case scenario is we stand vindicated before you in the new heavens and the new earth. So ultimately, in the end, one way or another, you will deliver us. And of all the things that we might fear and be anxious about, ultimately, you will deliver us when we enter into your consummated kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, that we put that at the top of the list of our priorities, our greatest concern, the thing that is of the most importance and dear to us, to seek first your kingdom. Amen. Okay, we have come to question time. And how this works is if you have a question, you stick a Q in the live chat so I know that there's a question on its way. Um, yeah, if you put that Q in, it just means that I know it's coming and it means I won't move on if you're taking a bit of time to formulate your answer. So any questions or comments in light of what we've been thinking about? Anything, uh, any clarification? Uh, I hope you've been able to follow the logic. I know um, Ricky reminded me of the first time I we went through this series, a question was asked by none other than Caroline, who is a troublemaker. No, she asked the question, um, and I kind of changed it off the back of that question slightly, the talk, but she asked the question, we really shouldn't be anxious about being in the kingdom of God, should we? That's not really how the logic is intended to unfold. So Jesus never says, you know, be anxious about whether you're in the kingdom of God or not. That's not the sort of direction we, we were headed in. Rather, what we're thinking of is in terms of all these things we worry about, life, what we eat, what we wear, all that side of things, what we worry about. But actually, they're not things that we need to worry about because the important thing is being in the kingdom of God. Once you're in the kingdom of God, that puts everything in its context. Because your Father in heaven knows what you need. He provides for you. Now, of course, it's worth saying that that doesn't mean that we're no longer in the fallen world. That this friction as these kingdoms come and kingdoms go and the animosity and hostility we won't be mixed up in. And therefore we will feel that friction, hostility and animosity. 
and but we know that God has our life in his hands so if we live he'll care for us not in a kind of a paradise type way but he will care for us if we die then we're with him and that's something we're going to pick up in a moment in the reflection. <laughs>